Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello and welcome back. Today we're talking about education leadership and a whole bunch of critical questions around gender, race and colonialist legacy in countries such as South Africa. To do all this, I caught up with Ponzo Morosi, who's currently based in the University of Warwick in the UK. We talked about Ponzo's research on leadership preparation in South African schools and a three-country study contrasting the varying experiences of black women principals in South Africa, the UK and the United States. But first off, given that this is traditionally not the most critical of fields, I wanted to know how Ponzo had got into the study of school leadership in the first place. start off interested in leadership as such. I was, I was doing management. I was interested in positions of management and particularly um, as far as women were concerned. Um, so I didn't even know about leadership when I started my PhD. Not that I didn't know the term leadership, but mm. I didn't know that leadership was a thing. And then the discourse was all about but school managers, school principals and school managers. So everybody focused on um, school management. And so that's what I focused on. But then I slowly kind of gravitated towards leadership as the discourse in the field changed. Mm. So as more and more or increasingly the role of school principals was being expected um, to be about leadership. Um, so everybody was talking leadership. But since that has happened, I think I've become interested in the relationship or relationships within leadership and um, wanting to understand more the power issues within leadership mm. and understand more how and why leadership as a space is occupied by a certain group of people and not others and how it tends to, to leave others out of it. Absolutely. But looking from completely from the outside, I, I'm aware of that I'm old enough to remember school management, school administration, and then school leadership and management. From the outside, it just seems like another word's been added. But there is, to you, what is the, the kind of the, what is leadership as distinct from management and administration? What is the quality of leadership that really interests you? Well, the emphasis um, when the, the discourse changed was more on giving school principals a more significant role over and above just overseeing things and implementing policy but giving more direction, more agency, more proactivity within the field and shaping the field the way they see fit and the way they, they vision uh, or they envision uh, change and improvement within the school context. So, so that kind of discourse really changed. And I think there was a lot of debate in the literature even about the extent to which that is just like you just said, just a, a semantic change rather than any meaningful change. I think Tony Bush wrote an article on, on just that, uh, those words. I mean, we still argue about the extent to which um, school principals are leaders yeah. and which of the dispositions they show when they are leaders, what differentiates leaders from non-leaders even within leadership. So I think that whole notion becomes really interesting for me then because then I look at how do we, within the context of leadership, how do we, what do we look at? And how do we know there's leadership when it's there? 
What, what, are, what are the characteristics of it? How, how do we define it? And, and that's another thing that I find very interesting, that um, nobody agrees on the definition of leadership. And so when it comes to school principals and developing them and preparing them, that becomes another nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's a whole research career in itself. But you actually look at kind of issues of gender and race when it comes to it. Now, again, from the outside, I would hope that gender is not really a, a big, big, big issue in school leadership. But I mean, clearly it is. So gender has not gone away. No, not at all. I wouldn't be here if it had gone away. And, and so there has been some improvement that we all admit, but... The questions are still there. I mean, numerically, women are still underrepresented in school leadership. Uh, but when you look at the statistics on the surface, for example, in the UK, they would say 65% of women are, are head teachers. But when you dig beyond that 65%, you find that the majority of those of them are in the primary schools. Yeah. So the secondary schools are continue to be dominated by men in the headship. And the higher you go, it's the, it's the same thing. And there's still within that no knowledge, very little research on people of minority backgrounds and, and how and why they are not in leadership and how they are, they are not represented in leadership. So there's a lot of issues. And then there's issues around pay gap, the gender pay gap, and a whole range of other issues um, that really affect women in very disproportionate ways that um, do not affect men. So I'm afraid we all would wish that <laughs> gender is not an issue, but it looks like it's going to continue to be an issue for a very long time. And it's an issue in faculties of education and you know, at every level of education. I wanted to talk to you about a couple of strands of work of yours. And first of all, is your kind of ongoing work, I guess, on leadership preparation in South Africa. And I, you've been doing this for a long, long time. So, I mean, what form does leadership preparation take in, in South Africa in this context? It's very much experiential. And that's really interesting because um, that's not what the literature says. And, and this is where I think for a long time we kind of like focused on the wrong questions because we looked, again, the, the influence from the West. We looked at what leadership preparation and development look like in the West and then we wanted to emulate that in the developing context in general, not just South Africa. And so for a long time, we looked at our school principals and school leaders in general as deficient. They're not adequate. They don't know what they're doing mm -hmm. simply because they were not trained. When we should have been looking at what works, because regardless of whether they were trained or not, they still do leadership. They still do principalship. Yes. And, and they still get appointed. And so my feeling is... We should have asked the questions on what works a long time ago. By now, we probably would have developed our own models in terms of what works in the context, because there is that gap between the context and these model that, models that we try to want to make them work in the context of the African context, where the realities are so different, the resource levels are so different, the uh, political, economic, whatever climate is so different. And we keep pressing on uh, them, us, them, wanting them to be um, certain kind of leaders who are trained. And, and yes, um, some of them still get the training. Like um, one of the first projects that I got involved in was a national project um, evaluating a national preparation and development program for school principals. And uh, to some extent, that was a very successful program, but it, it was just a pilot of two years. But even before then, there were still um, isolated universities offering their own preparation and development programs. 
So there were some principals who were trained from that, but there was a large percentage of them who just get into the position um, from just being successful teachers. Yeah. And others maybe not even so successful as teachers. But yeah, the, 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 the notion has been uh, preparation happens through experience. Most of them get um, exposed into what the role requires once they are on it. There isn't anything that exposes them beforehand, either theoretically or somewhat. Now, what I love about your work, I mean, there's a few things that you point out throughout your work about this model. You talk about what works and why, but you also point out why this isn't working, why this is not a good idea. One of the things is this idea of what you describe as colonial socialization as a big deficiency in kind of the way that leaders are prepared. And so, I mean, can you expand a little on this idea of colonial socialization? That's precisely that. The fact that um, we still expect school preparation and development to take the shape in African context that it takes in the West. Um, and so... We look at what is not there, basically asking the questions on why leaders are not prepared instead of asking how do um, leaders uh, who are not prepared, if we think they are not prepared, how do leaders without the so-called formal preparation learn to do leadership? How do they get socialized into the leadership space or into the principalship? And I think that when we try to answer the questions that we ask, we look very much to the West. I mean, in, in, in many of the projects that we do, we end up developing models that have been tested um, and developed in the West and then uh, try to implement those models in the African contexts. And, and that did not work, obviously. No. Not only because of resources, lack of, but because the realities are so different. Uh, there are so many things that um, African school principals or African school leaders more broadly are looking at, navigating, negotiating all the time, every day, that are not a reality of school leaders in the West. So that's um, what I think is problematic, that um, the whole colonial education is still so much there that we have not been able to think outside that box and think about what does our reality look like and how can we as researchers, for example, provide or help the system um, look into itself and into the context within which it is situated and find ways that work mm. within this context rather than try to import and try to be like teachers in, in, in the heart of England who have got everything or who are different. They are different. They think differently. They were brought up differently. They have different sets of values and all that. I was going to say there must be indigenous ways of transmitting knowledge Absolutely. that are being just squeezed out. Absolutely. They are there, but we are not looking there. So uh, increasingly, we are beginning to, I mean, there's a project that I'm involved in with a colleague of mine in South Africa, um, where we are looking at um, the socialization of school leaders. So we are still very much, or we are very much looking into asking that question about what works. You know, what is it that when these school principals come into the job, what is it that they get exposed to? How do they navigate? And we've taken the blinkers off uh, looking at that um, through the Western models. We try to understand the reality for what it is. And hopefully we'll, we'll end up with, I don't want to say theories, but um, we'll end up with understanding the context more and end up with maybe models that we are shareable that other people can uh, begin to look into. But knowledge that is rooted in the experiences of the people, in the experiences of community, in the experiences of African ways of doing things. 
And this is not to deny that a whole lot of influence of the westernization or the colonialism, um, we're going to throw it out of the window. I think that's a little bit difficult to do. Mm-hmm. But it's also about taking some of that and understanding that um, there's something that we can learn from. And you've also pointed to this idea of the kind of rigid hierarchical nature of leadership as imposed from the West and how that possibly doesn't fit very well with the context of, of South Africa. And can you, can you kind of expand on that? Yeah. Uh, traditionally, African societies were not as hierarchical. And I think this sometimes people think it's not true. But what happened or what used to happen um, before colonization, there was education in Africa. And how that education used to happen was that it used to be a shared space. Adults, children, men, women, they would learn together. Uh, whether it's consciously deciding to sit here, we are learning, or not, it wasn't necessarily like that because then that's the formality of it. But what used to happen in that space was that learning was shared by everyone equally. And there was a lot of storytelling that was happening within that context. A lot of learning from observing and a lot of learning from emulating what um, the elders are doing without necessarily anybody saying, you must do this, you must do that. So the thinking is that when we, we try to, to learn from our strengths as an African people, there's so much more that we can bring even to the rest of the world. That does not necessarily mean it will stay with us and, and define our own experiences. But I look in the West, now that I work in the West, and I look um, in the context in that, we still need different ways of thinking even here. So anything that could come from uh, those um, indigenous um, communities would be very useful. I mean, schools in the West talk all the time about yeah. community and storytelling yeah. and are very terrible at actually delivering it. So you're, you're right. There's a lot to be. Now, I was also interested in a more recent paper of yours where you've looked at black women's experiences of being school principals in different countries. And you co-authored this, I think, with, with the UK, yeah. South Africa and North America. I was really interested. I mean, this, this, this paper was fascinating. I mean, can you first of all explain what you did? Yes, we thought it was fascinating. The whole idea of comparing experiences from South Africa, from uh, the UK and from the USA. Um, so what we did was we tried to understand how black women uh, principals in these contexts construct success in leadership. And so we interviewed, using life history approach, we interviewed these women and, and, and just basically just tried to understand their lives because life history helped us to do that, understand their lives in the context within which they work. And so we asked questions about what their days look like and, and, and how they understand success. And we came across some really, really fascinating um, stuff about how success for them um, isn't necessarily about performance. No. Um, and, and that was really fascinating. I was going to say, could you expand a little bit about what success looked like from these different perspectives? Yeah. yeah. So um, these women are talked about success as developing a whole, holistic child, you know, acting as a role model for a particular child because they know that that child may be coming from a dysfunctional home or from not a, a, a traditional home at all. And knowing that they are there to provide that kind of image that this is what life could look like, giving them hope that even though things may not be as good at home or wherever you go after this um, school experience, mm. but that um, knowing for them as women, black women, knowing that they are providing that role model for those black children who are coming from struggling backgrounds was success. 
developing children who come to school um, ravaged by substance abuse, um, a whole lot of social ills within communities. And mind you, these were women who were all working within very challenging circumstances. So for them, it didn't really matter how the school performed. And this is where the clash was between them and the officials in education, that the officials in the education departments, they want performance, right? They want material that they will use for league tables and things that will make them shine so that parents can um, select these schools for good reasons. So when, when the school principal is focusing on building a child, that is not quantifiable, right? It doesn't go anywhere and they don't get to know about it. So that was a clash. And for them... It didn't really matter no. because they understood that um, for us, in view of the kinds of context in which we work, it means more for us, for these children to be something. If we can produce a school A, we can produce a child that can go into the community and be something. A child that gets into the school as one thing and gets out as something that um, is useful and they appreciate the time they have spent, for me, that is success. Yeah. And, and that we thought was really, really powerful uh, because it was across the board. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there were definitely things across the board. I'm interested about between country differences as well. Mm. I mean, the nature of the school systems that these principals are working. Was there any notable differences between the US and South Africa and England? Notable differences. Perhaps that would be about within the education systems themselves. Yeah. But in terms of expectations, there was not much. Yeah, and often the lack of a difference is a really yeah. interesting finding. Yeah, yes. Now, now, finally, I mean, your research is fairly critically orientated. You're asking difficult questions and raising difficult issues. How does this go down within the broader leadership field? Being a critical leadership scholar, do you get lots of pushback? Do you, are people welcoming of these different issues? I mean, how, how, what's it like to be a critical leadership scholar? To some extent, sometimes it's like swimming against the tide. Uh, but not so much from the scholars per se. I think um, I'll probably end up contradicting myself because it's the literature. And the literature is produced by the same scholars, right? Mm. And the bulk of it, of the literature in educational leadership is still very much traditional. Yeah. And that's where the challenge is. And you go to somewhere like Belmas. Yes. And what? where does your yes. work fit in? Yes, exactly, exactly. So you, something like Belmas, you present your paper and there's, there's lots of questions, engagement, but that doesn't seem to... Um, to go beyond the room. Um, yes, you'll get published and, and that's it. And, and this is um, frustrating despite, uh, because um, it is happening despite um, talks of um, things like teacher leadership, uh, distributed leadership, mm. when you would have thought that would be disrupting the power dynamics within leadership. But there's more talk of distributed leadership without really asking some difficult questions about who still benefit from these distributed leadership and from the teachers, um, teacher leadership. Who are the people behind this? And, and how do uh, minority people and people who have traditionally been excluded from these positions, or even from just um, uh, giving their own voice, how do they continue to be marginalized? And how do we, how can we, ask questions that begin to include them more so that we give everyone a voice. Yeah, the status quo is quite difficult to shift. You've got a lot of work ahead of you, though. So thanks ever so much for taking the time to talk about what you've done and good luck with the work you've got to do in the future. Thank you so much for having me.